Would you please join me as I pray? Our Father, we come to this moment asking that you would do what you do. You are a speaking God, a God of revelation. And your word brings healing and life and renewal, power and joy. Your word is like fire and like hammer. It melts and it reshapes and it transforms. I'm asking God that by the power of your Holy Spirit that in these moments you would do that and that you would do it specifically in the place where we are tempted to grow cynical, where our suffering and our disappointments threatened to cause us to, to close off and to become calloused. I pray that right there in those spaces, your word would speak and it would produce miraculous otherworldly joy. I believe you can do that. God, would you do it even now? We look forward to what you have for us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Last week, we we started a journey of joy together, talking about this reality that as Christians, we have a, a birthright that is ours in Christ, that we of all people have the opportunity to experience joy, joy that is constant and that will be a companion throughout life until one day we are absorbed into the fullness of joy in the presence of God. This, we believe, is, is part of what it means to be Christian. And so we were talking last week about how the Holy Spirit and the journey with the Holy Spirit empowers this production of joy in our life. It is one of the fruit of the Holy Spirit that we experience joy. This week, the, the question that I want us to honestly ask and answer is what about when the rug gets pulled out from under us? What about when there's real suffering and real disappointment and real heartache that is pressing in circumstantially on us? Does this, does this word about joy hold there? What we don't want to, to do is create kind of a thin veil of religious platitude and, and kind of a... a pretend joy that we feel like we have to muster up and pretend that we have, what we're talking about is durable sense of well-being that is gifted by God to his people. And, and the question that we want to press into is, is it possible in the midst of your suffering? And I believe that this text is going to help us to uncover and delight in this truth that perpetual joy even in our suffering is available. Pointedly, in the moment of your suffering, joy is available. And I actually believe that what this text is gonna tell us that, that justification by faith delivers blessings of God directly into our heart, one of which is joy in the midst of suffering. Justification by faith, which I will, I will define for us momentarily, is a, is a 
theological understanding. It's where this text starts in, in Romans 5 and verse 1. Therefore, since you have been justified by faith, some things are going to happen. And what we're going to see is that justification by faith is a vehicle by which God delivers blessings right into our heart and life. In this text, the text begins and ends talking about the nature of justification, almost like it's, it's the bread on a blessing sandwich, that God's going to deliver the deliciousness of a triple-decker blessing sandwich, and the, the vehicle by which it gets delivered to us is justification by faith. That's what we're going to see in this text. So before we plunge in, what, what is that? What is justification by faith? Justification is a theological term that means you have perfect legal standing before God, that you are approved of and you are perfect in God's sight. Justification. So in the courtrooms of God, in the presence of God, one who has been justified has perfect standing, that when God looks at them, he goes, amazing, perfect, spot on. Justification by faith is the recognition that we will never be justified in God's presence by trying, by scrubbing ourselves and being all about moral cleansing and just trying harder and trying to present ourselves to God. It will never work. Justification, the scriptures tell us, this text is going to tell us, comes by faith. It comes by trusting in the fact that when Jesus was bleeding and dying on the cross, something was actually happening, actually happening. Your sin... And your missteps and your brokenness were actually placed on Jesus in those moments. And through that, God is able to provide justification by faith. As we trust in that work, we are justified. What I want us to explore is how that theological truth, what I've been asking is that God would set that theological truth on fire in us. Because when when we do theology on fire... It's not just principles, statements, but it heats up, becomes true at a heart level. What we're going to see in this text is that it delivers God's blessings right into our life when we see justification by faith. There's three blessings. We're going to explore each of them with emphasis on the third because that's what we've come to do is pay special attention to the way that joy arrives in our life. But let's see if we can make sense of this together. Are you with me? Any questions or concerns? We good? Anybody want to? We good. All right, let's do this. Blessing number one, that justification by faith delivers into the heart of the Christian. Look at me. I want you, I want you to see me when I say this to you. God's not mad at you. He's not mad at you. The first blessing that we see in this text is is he's not mad. And particularly for those that are suffering, struggling, where there's been real disappointment, biting at the back of our mind, maybe this question, is he just mad at me? That it keeps being hard and disappointing in all of these ways. And listen, the first blessing delivered by justification by faith is a bold, strong declaration. Listen, he's not. Look back at verse Verse 1 and verse 9 with me. Verse 1 of this text says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith. That's the delivery system by which God's going to pour out blessings into his people. So since that's the case, here's what's true. We have peace 
with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. We have peace with God. Skipping down in the text, he says it another way. Keep in mind, the blessings come in the middle, and, and then he's talking about justification at the tail end. He continues to talk about it. And in, in verse 9, he says it this way. Since, therefore, we have been justified by his blood, by Jesus' work, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. Okay, so the first blessing is this reality. One, God has wrath. He is furious. He, is, he has a holy fury and anger towards all sin because sin is breaking everything that is beautiful and right and good in the world. He hates it. He hates every shred of it and he is going to do something about it and this is good news. God hates sin, which leaves us in a really difficult position going, oh no, I'm riddled with sin and God hates sin and he's going to do something about it. This is why justification by faith is such good news. It delivers to us the first blessing that when we place our trust in Jesus and we say, oh, every ounce of my sin, every act of rebellion that my heart generates was on Jesus in that moment. And for that reason, I have peace with God. There is no bad blood. He's not angry with me. He's not waiting to pounce on me. I had a friend growing up and I, I, I remember watching him with his dad. He was, he was one of these guys that just had a kind of an angry dad. And I remember there's just, this, there's a vivid memory in my mind where we were at this gathering. It was a potluck, kind of a walk through the line and serve your plate. You're getting from all the different things. And they were up in front of me in line. And I remember my friend was probably, I don't know, maybe 12 or 13. And he was fixing his plate and it was something like the, the cheese slipped off his cracker and he was kind of making a mess. And I remember I was watching it from behind and his dad grabbed him by the scruff of the neck. And he said, what are you doing? You're making a mess. Get a hold of yourself. And I, and I remember it, it made so much sense from what I knew of my friend and what I've continued to know over the years. He, he's, he's a guy that I've watched live with like a, a sense of, he always feels like he's flinching, second guessing himself. He has a real low self-confidence. He, he has lived through his life expecting that someone is standing ready to grab me by the scruff of the neck if the cheese slips off the cracker. God's not like that. He's not like that. Because of what he has accomplished in Jesus, I just need you to know, some of you grew up in that home. Some of you had and still have that dad, that mom, that voice. Listen, God's not like that. I don't know about you, but the cheese has slipped off the cracker in my life more times than I know how to count. I know how to make a mess of things. I'm a professional. And the good news is this. God's not waiting to pounce. The good news of justification by faith, what Jesus has accomplished at the cross, is that what he is saying is this. You have peace. There is no bad blood here. I'm not waiting to jump on you. I'm not angry. I am, we're good. And so if part 
of your experience and walking through life and engaging in relationship with God feels like you're flinching, wondering in the moment at which you've messed up, certainly now he's ready to to grab me and give me a good talking to. This verse says otherwise. What he says is this. Therefore, since you've been justified by faith, you have peace with God. You've been delivered from the wrath of God. Brother, sister in Christ, listen. God's not mad at you. But he doesn't stop there. Justification by faith delivers a stack of blessings. And the first is he's not mad at you. The second is this. Look at me. I want you to hear me. I want you to see me when I say it. Listen, he's crazy about you. He's crazy about you. It's not just that he's going no bad blood. We have peace. He's not just saying we're good. What he's saying is this. I'm crazy about you. He likes you. He loves you. Did you see it in verse 2a? The first part of verse 2, he makes it abundantly clear. And then he comes back and he, he double clicks on it even in verses 6 through 8. Look at it. And in verse 2, he says this. Through him, we're still talking about Jesus and his completed work, what justification by faith is delivering into our hearts. He says, through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Into this grace in which we stand. Now, there's another theological term for us. We want to do theology on fire. Let me define that term for you. What is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor. Unmerited means unearned. This isn't like the paycheck at the end of the two weeks. It's not like you got a special bonus because you really killed it this year. It's not like, man, I did a good job and God's for me. What he's saying, it's unmerited. You haven't done anything for this. And it's, it's favor. What it is is his posturing. The God who has endless resources is perfect in power and goodness and creativity and joy is posturing himself towards you with blessing and benefit, with his favor on you. Like his love postured towards you at every moment. That's grace unmerited favor. I'm for you. I love you. I'm pouring out good on you. And then he goes even further in verses six through eight, since we're standing in this grace, and then he he describes it a bit more later on, saying this, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, he didn't wait until you had it together to say, here's my favor. He said, while we were weak, while we were sinners, I'm going to ask you to do something courageous that maybe you haven't done in a long time. I want you right now to call to mind your most shameful moment. We've all got them. Like that really embarrassing thing that still when it comes up or when it gets talked about, you just, it feels like a sinking feeling. Like I can't believe I was able to do that, go to that place, do that, that thing. You got it? 
It was there. It was you in that moment when God said, I'm coming for you. I love you there. That's the blessing that justification by faith delivers into the heart of the Christian. That what he's saying is, your most embarrassing moment when you were weak and you were a sinner and you were under the, the rightful condemnation of sin, clouded by shame, there I came rushing towards you with my favor and my blessing. I wasn't waiting till you got it together. I loved you there. Do you understand what freedom that produces? If God loved you all the way down in that ugly, dark valley, what it means is anywhere else you go, you're covered by his favor. That's what it, the language of verse two, what it is saying is this, into this grace in which we stand. It's a progressive verb. It's like we're standing under grace. It's like a waterfall. Has anyone ever, just by show of hands, anybody been to Niagara Falls? Okay, yeah, a few. I've never been. I really want to go. I hear it's stunning. Maybe by, by maybe a nod, you can tell me. I hear that like the, the sound is so overwhelming. Like, here, here's a picture of it. Did you know that coming over that ledge, this is the main falls, 681,750 gallons of water every second. 681,750 gallons. Like when you go, from what I understand, the sound, and the, it, it's one of those that kind of stops you in your tracks, like, oh. This is verse two. We, we stand in grace. Thousands of gallons of God's favor poured out his love and affection for you even at your deepest and your darkest and most shameful moments pouring over you in such a way that your past, present, and future is so cleansed and tended to by the love of God that you can't ever outrun it or escape it. It is just the story of your life. It says it is grace in which we stand. You are under the waterfall of God's grace, thousands of gallons by the second. There's a reason we call the gospel good news. Do you feel it? God's not mad at you. God's crazy about you. He loves you. His favor is on you. If you are in Jesus, his affection is directed towards you for your good at every moment by the, by the thousands of gallons. Which incidentally is why it delivers the third blessing. The third blessing comes running in right behind it. It's the second half of verse two. You can't stop it. <laughs> You're like, wait, so, so God and I are good. He's not mad at me. And, and even more than that, he's crazy about me. He loves me. He's postured towards my good with favor endlessly. Well then, verse 2b, you can't stop it. It says this, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. The word for rejoice means to exalt, to celebrate. It's like strike up the band. <laughs> we, got, we, gotta, we gotta have a party. <laughs> You're telling me that God and I are good and that, that he's not mad and that he is crazy about me and his favor is on me, past, present, and future. I'm never gonna outrun it. It's the story of my life forever. Well then, joy. 
joy. Another definition for rejoice is choose joy. Like the choice is now yours. It's available to you. Moment to moment, you are covered over in his favor. It's your choice to make. And you see, it says we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This is that idea that the glory of God is the richness of his perfection that we see in little ways now and we will see perfectly one day. One day when the glory of God is revealed, all of your sadness will be a distant memory. Your sufferings, no matter how painful they are and have been in the moment, no matter how sustained the pain has been, no matter how disappointing, the day is coming that you're going to strain to remember what it was like. You're going to be so covered over in the glory of God that has wiped away every tear and every sadness that you're going to strain. You're actually going to go, oh, that suffering wasn't even worth comparing to this glory because it's such a it's such a tidal wave that has caused me to go ah, I can't even compare it he says we have joy in the hope that that day is coming that the glory of God is being revealed my family and I at the at the end of first of July will be in Colorado we go each year in the summer and like July 1st in Colorado waking up and like having to put your fleece on because it's a little chilly in the morning, that's glory, you know, especially for a Houstonian. <laughs> and we've actually been talking about it. You know, we, we've, over the last three, four weeks, there will be regular moments where we're like driving around, we'll be like, 26 days, this is where we'll be. We'll be in that spot. You know that spot. We'll be standing there. The sun's going to be going down. The breeze is going to be coming through. It's going to be crisp, clean, clear air. We'll be standing in the mountain. We're like, oh man, that's awesome. That's awesome. You know what we're doing? We're borrowing present joy from future glory. You follow me? We're rejoicing in the hope of glory. And the glory that is coming for us is so much grander than a mountain breeze. Like it is endless satisfaction and perfection that undoes all of the sadness of all of the stories of all of history that is gonna settle onto us and it's never gonna leave us. That day is coming and he's going, you can actually borrow present joy from that future glory. You can have hope in the glory of God that is being revealed. Now we've gone all the way around the block to get to the neighbor's door, right? Right? We've gone on a long journey and we're back to where we started. Because this is still the question. Okay, Jeremiah, justification by faith delivers peace and grace and joy. Joy and the hope of the glory of God. But what about when the glory of God feels so distant because my suffering is pressing in? If joy is the Christian's birthright and it's possible for us to live perpetually in joy, what about when all of a sudden you, you get some information that you go, I wasn't planning on this. What about the suffering that, that presses in? Is it still possible there? It's almost as if Paul anticipates the question. He's going, okay, maybe the hope of the glory of God distantly isn't doing it for you, but then he presses even further for the, for the final shot of blessing. 
Look at verses 3 through 5. He says this. Not only that, or more even than that. So yes, we rejoice in the hope of glory of God. But even more than that, we rejoice in our sufferings. It almost makes me feel like, is there a, is there a misprint there? He's not saying like rejoice in spite of our sufferings or around our sufferings. Or He says rejoice in the suffering. And then he says, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope and hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. You see, it's not in spite of our suffering. It's right in the midst of it. And the reason is this, says Paul, because suffering delivers things into our lives that we desperately want. We want these things. He's saying, listen to me. I'm going to tell you what you're suffering. The reason you can rejoice in your suffering is because suffering is a vehicle that's going to deliver things to you that weren't going to be delivered to you any other way. He says it's going to produce endurance. The word in Greek for endurance, I love this word. It's hupomane. Can you say it? Hupomane. Yeah, it's a good one, right? It means patient, cheerful Endurance. It's that weathered saint who's been through everything that when they receive really hard news and the people around them are coming undone with grumbling and complaining and moaning and oh, and they're just sitting there steady. Going, it's gonna be okay. You know that person? Don't you wanna be that person? That looks at all of the worries of tomorrow and goes, it's gonna be okay. The only way that happens, suffering. Suffering produces hupomane. And endurance produces character. Character means tested, tried, proven. It's that person that is so steady that they've been tested by fire and their character is unshakable. That sort of character that is unshakable, it's that sort of person that when your life starts coming apart at the seams, you're looking for their phone number. You're going, I need to reach out to this person. They're they're gonna be a, a source of stability for me in the midst of this. You see, that sort of person is the person who's learned to persevere, to endure in the midst of suffering, and now their character is trustworthy, unshakable. Don't you wanna be that sort of person? That's not good. The vehicle, suffering. It produces endurance. It produces character. And that character produces hope. When you've endured up under suffering and it's producing good things in you, now the next wave of suffering, you actually have hope in the face of it because you're going, I know what this thing does to me. It produces good things in me. I have hope in the midst of it. And he says that hope is not going to disappoint you. The word could be ashamed. It's, it won't It won't leave you in the midst of shame. It's not going to embarrass you. And the truth is, for those who've suffered time and again, hope feels risky. They're tempted to become a cynic and say, I'm going to drag my hope down to the dirt because it hurts too much to keep hoping. But what this text is saying is that justification by faith delivers something different to our souls. What it says is this, is you can actually hope in the face of suffering. When suffering comes knocking at your door, you can open the door wide, you can look it in the eye, and you can say, joy. I've been expecting you. 
I was promised that my life would be marked by suffering. We are told time and time in the, again in the scriptures, it's part of the human experience. It's coming for us. And because of our birthright in Jesus, because of justification by faith and what it delivers into our souls is we can look it in the eye and go, I love what you're going to do to me. You're going to produce something powerful in me because I am not now outside of the grace of God. It's not like the Niagara dried up. It's still raining down over you in the midst of your suffering. And so right there, you can look it in the eye and go, ah, I knew you were coming. I didn't know when, but I knew you would show up. And I say joy. It's interesting. He says in that moment, we will know the love of the Spirit, the, the love of the Father being poured into us by the Holy Spirit, that there are some things that we can cognitively know. But he says the love of God is ex, it's spiritually experienced. And in that moment of standing in the face of suffering, enduring and experiencing character and hope bubble up, he says there you will experience the love of God filling you. You will know that God is with you in a pointed way. I think in part because our God is not distant to suffering. He understands it. He's taken it into his very bones. Do you see him? Can you just for a moment engage your imagination and think of him there, Jesus on the cross? He's not distant from suffering. He was bleeding and gasping for breath, dying. And then do you hear him? He musters his energy and he calls out, it's finished. It's finished. As he said it, the, the curtain ripped in the temple and the presence of God was poured out. His presence with his people and what came with it is a recognition that God's never going to be mad at me again. It has been finished. And not only that, he is for me and he loves me. And what that means is I have joy and I have joy even in the face of suffering because I will come to know his love. I will know him more in that moment. Justification by faith delivers blessings into the soul of the believer. God is not mad at you. God is crazy about you. And for that reason, you can have joy, even in suffering. Let me pray for us. Our Father, I thank you that you're here with us. I want to just first pray, God, right now, for my non-Christian friends in the room, I pray that you'd be with them, you'd be speaking to them, you'd be wooing them, helping them see the beauty and the goodness of the gospel. That right now, for them, peace with you is not a reality. Your favor over their lives is not a reality. 
the idea of having joy in the midst of suffering is, is an impossibility by our flesh. I pray for my friends in the room that have yet to trust in Jesus, that they would see the beauty and the power of the cross of Christ. And that they would, they would come to you. If that's you, run to Jesus and by faith place your trust in him. Put your sin on him. Confess your sin and receive his forgiveness and know that these blessings can be yours in Jesus. Today is the day of salvation. Run to him. And for my Christian brothers and sisters, God, would you all over again restore to us a trust in your goodness, an experience of your love that we could stare suffering in the eye and say, joy. Help us to live as men and women who have laid hold of our birthright in Jesus and experience perpetual joy even in our suffering. Help us to be those sorts of people. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.